we're all going to be called to fight exactly where we stand with what we already do. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. And Amy. Greetings. Greetings, everyone. Uh, today, as we record, it is Father's Day. So, Tracy, happy Father's Day. Matt, happy Father's Day. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I, I, I enjoy <laughs> that. Un- other outside support. <laughs> we had two others on the call that haven't um, mentioned that in our first, you know. Oh my gosh! I know we gave them all kind of opportunity, and what did we hear? Nothing. Nothing. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Oh <laughs> uh, no, that's funny. Um, that's okay. Our millions and millions of fans will write it, write in, and email and text us and let us know. I bet they will, just like they did for Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny. but you know uh i would just let, let, i i would take a moment here i guess it's sort of personal to me but you know fathers have kind of gotten a bad rap lately not just lately it's been a while you know popular culture kind of plays dads off as being dumb and detached and, and not having any idea what to do and you know a lot of times the kids are smarter than the dad and whatnot you know uh, listeners, if you could encourage the dads in your life or the father figures in your life, they need it because uh, we're at a weird time in our world when a lot of dads are absent and not stepping up, and um, and it's a it's a bad thing. And you know, when we have a, you know, we believe in a father God, and he's getting misrepresented here by by a bad picture of fatherhood. Um, you know. Encourage the dads in your life to to uh, just give them some strength. Sitcoms are not real life. Ignore well, the Hollywood painting of the doofus dad. Mm-hmm. Dads are valuable. And in the earthly family structure that God has set up, they are, in fact, supposed to be the leaders. And so Satan has done a very good job of taking down that earthly family structure to disorient everyone who needs to really be looking at the father God. I firmly believe that. Yeah. On the other hand, my kids' dad would actually stand in front of them and fart in their face and think that it was funny. So there's that side of fatherhood as well. <laughs> that's not just, funny. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> that's not funny at all. <laughs> <laughs> also, um, in, in zoology, there was this interesting thing that happened. They they were uh, having trouble with male sort of teenage elephants in a preserve, in a wild animal preserve, and they these young male elephants were running amok, and they were hoodlums, and they were jerks, and they were not great, and they and nobody knew what to do. Well, somebody had the idea because in the preserves the bull elephants were kept separate, and somebody had the idea. Well, why don't we put the young male elephants in with the bulls instead of having the bulls be so isolated over here and just really only used for breeding. And so they did. And the first thing that happened was the older bull elephants, every time that the young males would act up, the older bulls would put them in their place with physical force if necessary. Mm. And then guess what? The young males learned how to act and they calmed down, and they got better. And my point with all that is nothing, nothing beats male influence on young males. Nothing beats it. Yeah. So I highly value men who are involved in anything to do with mentoring, uh, you know, finding their place in the family, um, mentoring to women, how it's supposed to work, mentoring to children, how it's supposed to work, and particularly mentoring to boys, how it's supposed to work. That is invaluable. Yeah. 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 That's oh, what dads I are supposed absolutely to be. agree. There's, there's no substitute for it. And there's such a need. I think it should actually be one of the strongest ministries in every church. 
I get I got really, really frustrated. My my kids' dad was not terribly involved with particularly my son. And the reason for that was well, it's a long story, never mind. Um, that he struggled. And I went to the men's ministry in the church that I went to for many years, and I asked them repeatedly to invite my son to do things. I said, he needs male influence. I cannot be both mom and dad. I can show him normal life, but I cannot be both mom and dad. He needs men. And they would always go, yeah, that's a good idea. And then they would never do it. And that's, I, I, I was not happy because that's something I can't do. And I sat on my stump and yelled for help and no one helped. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a thing in the church right now mm -hmm. because that's the most needed ministry and um, people who have healthy families don't want to get involved and everyone else is floundering. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I do, <laughs> See, I do have a, I do run a men men's ministry at our, church and i i try to encourage men to step up and be men so yeah you know be be strong you know be strong men be strong fathers husbands boyfriends brothers father figures you know um, and that involves have a lot you, of things have you hmm? done any like inviting of the of the uh male children in the congregation to your men's ministries events not at this point. We haven't been doing it that long. I'm still kind of trying okay. to get the men, uh, just the, the camaraderie amongst the men up to a level that I like. And so, um, but, you know, eventually, yeah, we'll, uh, we will have to do something to reach out to the younger boys, I guess. That is a valid direction to go. Well, alrighty. So this week. We are talking about the book of Joel. Now, Joel, the chronology here is a little iffy. There's nothing in the book really that specifically places it into the chronology that we're at, which is right now we have been watching uh, Judah being taken over by Babylon. We've seen people carried away. We've seen the kings taken away. Um We've been in this area for quite a while. And the book of Joel, I think it fits here. Mm -hmm. uh, some of the notes in my Bible indicated it's a little iffy, but to me it seems legitimate. I have this Bible that has kind of like a, a scholar's best guess timeline down the center column of each page. Mm -hmm. And and that that doesn't necessarily include when the predictions in the book are meant to happen it's when it was written and mm -hmm. this entire book was marked as 800 bc i wondered that same thing as i was reading it so i went and looked that's kind of what it said yeah so yeah it, it's kind of hard to say uh there's things here that make me think that it that at least what we're talking about portions of it fit at this point in the history of israel other parts of it, I think, point more towards end time stuff, which we'll get into. Mm -hmm. um, but the, yeah, but the, the point being chronology of the Bible isn't always an easy thing to pin down. And so, you know, you, you, we're just going to glean the lessons as we can and um, try to apply them as we can. So the book begins with tell your children about what has happened. And I think this is. I think this is important for us, not only in the context of what happened to Israel and Judah, but even our everyday, even our modern day historical stuff. Make sure we need to make sure that our kids understand the history of what came before it. You know, I have, have written. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, please go. Written on my side and I have it highlighted is don't forget what you where. And I just lost my train of thought. Um, don't forget, don't forget where, where you come from. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that was the gist of everything I read probably in, in the first maybe chapter two was like, you know, we've went through all this and the lesson that we learned so far in the back is that we always repeat the same thing. Don't forget this. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I see some things going on even in our you know, recent last few years where it seems like there's a desire to have this revisionist history to avoid painful memories of what has happened in the past and i think that's i think that's counterproductive 
because if we if we try to ignore that the things happened or if we try to deny that they happened or just stop talking about them because we don't like what happened there's no way for us to move forward no way to learn from what happened no way to point at something and go that was bad let's not do it again yeah. uh, and uh i think that's been a big part of what god has been trying to point out to israel and judah is you guys screwed up and bad things happened and you need to remember this and so when it begins by te- telling your child children about what has happened about how all these things have gone down tell them about you know tell talk to the kids about the idolatry talk to the kids about the violence talk to the kids about these things and just like in our modern society let's talk about the ways our nation failed in the past so that we can learn so that we can move forward now it starts talking about devastation of the land by locusts and I wasn't sure if this was supposed to be a literal like infestation of locusts. I kind of felt like not because if it fits into the chronology here, it would seem to me more likely that we're talking about the, just the, the devastation of the land by this being overrun by foreign influences over time and where Babylon was maybe just like that final piece that just finally took it down because um, we, you know, we talk about it talks about, you know, several different stages of locust infestation. And I'm thinking maybe Philistines, Sumerians, Babylonians, you know, as it goes along. You know, I was thinking just the, the damage that locusts create and how it takes everything down to nothing. Mm-hmm. And that's where Jerusalem and Israel is right now, geographically, as far as their cities, their their dwelling places. It's left in ruins. There's nothing there. And mm-hmm. now they're strangers in a strange land once again. And um, I just kind of look at it, looked at it as figuratively that it's saying, you know what, your land has been pillaged and pummeled um, by foreign, foreign invaders. And this is what you're left with, the ruins, just like locusts would leave fields and ruins. Yeah, I, I actually agreed because of the way the first few verses were worded um, in verse Four, it says, what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Like, this is a multifaceted threat, whether it means literally locusts or simply multifaceted threat. Eh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. So. <laughs> well said. I know. <laughs> it was good, huh? <laughs> that was some insightful <laughs> stuff there. <laughs> it's like do i tack on to what she just said or was what she said perfectly fine and i don't need to mansplain anything ah <laughs> uh, so yeah but i do i think i think it's probably more allegorical for all all of the things that have been going on over time now it talks about drunkards and I didn't think this is verse five. How did I put it? Uh, not that I need to go through all this stuff, but uh, it says awake you drunkards. And I didn't, again, I didn't take this as being necessarily literal. Uh, it certainly, it certainly could apply, but uh, I think a big por- portion of what was going on at the time had been that people had been indulging a bit too much in just self-indulgent lifestyle. They were just self-medicating. Well, self-medicating by various means, not necessarily not necessarily by like chemical means or anything like that. But but even even just, you know, what we would maybe think of as living life to the fullest, but living it all to a point where we've we've lost track of the more important things where it isn't all just about pleasure. And it's not just all about, uh, you know, having fun and and having a great time. Or, or having everything you want. It doesn't need to be something even destructive. It just means you're used to having everything you want, and now you're doing without. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, this was, so this was another aspect of what was going on. You know, we had, we had the idolatry. We had the violence. But we also had, uh, it would seem, just uh, a plague of its own, if you will, of self-indulgence. And um, that... Can that can that can wreck you? 
Yeah, I think that's a super good point because the significance of Joel is, of course, that, you know, Peter quotes Joel and talks about, you know, be ready. The day of the Lord is upon us. And and if we're distracted, you know, just like right before the flood, if we're just doing our own thing, having a great time, doing things that aren't necessarily bad, you know, because Jesus said they'll be marrying and giving in marriage and, you know, feasting and whatnot. And it's like, OK, well, those are all good things. So how is that bad? Well, it's not bad, except that destruction was about to happen. Mm hmm. Yeah, you stop you stop paying attention to what's going on around you and you're just focused on the good stuff, which is great. We love the good stuff, uh, but but indulging without without having consideration for anything else is is just irresponsible. The text talks about a nation has come against my land. And this is why I think like it probably fits here, because while it doesn't name the nation, it talks about like the teeth of a lion and the fangs of a fierce lion. And so this comparison of this nation to a lion makes me think that this is talking about Babylon because Babylon has a lot of lion imagery in its, in its um, artwork. When you see, you know, pictures of their walls and whatnot, there was a lot of lion imagery in Babylon. And so I have a feeling that this is talking about Babylon. We talk about lamenting like a virgin for the husband of her youth. So we're talking about a, Someone who is betrothed but hasn't left her, left her father's house. If we can think of Israel and Judah as being being that potential bride to God, to Jesus, because you know we've talked a lot about how how God places Himself as the groom, and He has placed Israel and the church as His as His bride. You know, God set up this nation, Israel, to be his representative to be his oh what word do i want to use here companion i guess i could say and i don't know if they ever really embraced it it feels like maybe they did in words a lot you know they had a lot of pride in you know a lot of national pride they took a lot of pride in that temple but misused it didn't really seem to commit to god's purposes while they were there, while they were there and in power, you know, Dave, during David's time, they rose, they rose to greatness during Solomon's time. They kind of celebrated the greatness, but how much of it was devoted to the greatness of being with God and coming from God? It's, it seems like it was kind of lackluster in that in that aspect. And so the, he, he's kind of talking to them about how they should be. Feel like somebody who just never met their potential, I guess, making that comparison there. It talks about priests, the pre, how the priests should mourn because the grain and drink offerings are withheld from God's house, and they should make an official time of warning and cry out to God. How do you feel about this? This uh, sort of time of mourning that God is saying should be led by the religious authorities. Uh, is this something that you think would be beneficial? Would be helpful? Did they maybe not do enough of this beforehand to keep people on board? What do you think? You know, I think it's always a good idea. Um, but then I think it, because it, I think it adds to the gravity of the situation by saying, you know what, we need something like a, an, I like to say like a national prayer day, you know, or something to let people know that, you know, this is, this is serious business. But I just don't, I don't think they were at that point. I think they were so fractured between the people that were trying to remain and do good in their small minority and, and small number that everything else was just so caught up in trying to be about self and to be about the being like the world and watching their empire crumble. Mm -hmm. I get the impression that there had been a lot of encouragement in the behavior. Cause remember how the, a lot of the prophets quote unquote prophets were telling everybody that everything was fine. You're going to be okay. We don't have any struggles, you know, coming or it's going to be short lived. Uh, and then, but then the real prophets were the ones who were saying, we need to repent. We need to turn around. We need to need to make changes. And sort of to me, this is, it's like, it's like, well, you know, you didn't do it before. You really need to do it now. You need to under people need to understand that things aren't great. Things aren't where they're supposed to be. Even though you feel good right now, don't get caught thinking that you are fine. 
Now, when we talk about, talks about how the day of the Lord is at hand, it says it shall come from destruction from the Almighty. So whatever happened here, we're recognizing that this was all from God, that this destruction that has come down on them is from God, that this correction that is coming down on them is from God. It's sort of sad that sometimes we have to get to that point where we have to get the smiting before we understand that we're falling short and beyond falling short. I mean, I think in a lot of ways they and we were facing the completely wrong direction. You know, it's not like Babylon coming in was just a random attack that just happened on its own. In some way, some fashion, God directed this to happen for Judah. And that's what's being that's what's being pointed out here. That this judgment coming down is from God. This whole state of the land is, it's just a shambles because the people haven't followed, or in a lot of ways, they haven't even sought God's will. In in chapter 2, it identifies the locusts as God's army. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? I guess I would, I mean, if we're talk, if we're still talking Babylon, it is a strange thought for us to think of this non I'll say Judeo force being God's hand, you know, acting as God's hand. You know, it's hard for us to think of these moments of destruction as coming from God. We don't like to think of God as getting angry, getting upset, being, being the disciplinarian. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I can but see there's it. This, I mean, it's it's an intimidating read to me. Like the first few verses of, mm, let's see, the first, I guess, 10, 10, 11 verses of chapter two are a description of this army of locusts and what it looks like and what it's doing. And it starts describing how they move and how unstoppable they are and people's reactions to them. And then in verse 11, it says, the Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty in the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? I mean, if we think we can stand up against God's intentions. Well, this is judgment, right? If we think of this as temporal destruction only, we're missing the point. This is judgment, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how I'm... That's what the day of the Lord is, is like, whatever has been happening, we have reached a point where everything has been distilled well enough that he can pass judgment and lay it out. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's how I hear this. Are there temporal things that happen that the people have to go through? Yes. But it is still God passing judgment because that point of clarity has been reached. Yeah. Well, you know, it's talking about this as the day of the Lord, too. So when the judgment comes down, you know, we've talked here, too, at times about depending on which side of the aisle you're on depends on how you view the judgment. Because my initial thought, like you said, it's very, what was the word you used? It's, um, I don't know, it can seem bleak. But if you're on God's side, then the judgment is a is a positive thing you don't see it as negative. So I guess it sort of depends on, on which, which side of it you're on. Yeah, that's an excellent point, Matt, because I feel like so often we think, oh, judgment, I don't want to think about God judging people. And that's not the God that I love. You know, people will say things like that. Um, There was a whole ministry that sort of washed over our church, people trying to say that God never judges. But if you read the scriptures and take them seriously, you see that he does and he promises judgment as though it was a good thing. And, And especially in the Psalms, you see, you know, people crying out for God's judgment, because if you are the innocent party and someone keeps wronging you, then you want justice. And I think that's one of the big mistakes we make is forgetting that the other half of God's judgment is justice. And justice is what we all want. So we should look at it in a super positive light, because God is saying, hey, look, I'm making you a promise. I'm going to set everything right. Yeah. You know. With that thought, I wonder, would we be would we be better served if instead of the word judgment, we used justice? Mm, because yes. because, again, depending on which which part of justice you're receiving, 
it's yeah. a it's it's a negative or or it's a or it's a positive. Just wait until your father gets home, takes on a whole new meeting. <laughs> if you're the kid who did the the naughty thing versus you were the kid on the receiving end of the naughty thing. Yeah, yeah. So just a oh, it was a few weeks ago. I was called for jury duty and it ended up spending a couple of days sitting in a courtroom while we were waiting for the for the uh, jury to be chosen. But it gives you opportunity to sit and look and think, well, I don't I don't remember. No, I don't think the well, not that I know of. I don't think the victim was in in the courtroom, but the defendant, of course, is. And so it gives you opportunity to think. And as you're listening to the questions that the lawyers and the judge are asking, you know, it gives you an opportunity to really think about justice. What does it mean? How do we find it? And, you know, what does it mean to the different parties when justice is served, when when the one wronged gets their satisfaction by seeing the what word do I want to use? I mean, we, we you know the, the defendant, I guess, seeing them um, punished. Uh, it's a different thing than if you're the one being punished. Well, I was just looking ahead a little bit and uh, looking at three verse three. They have cast lots for my people and have given a boy for a harlot and sold a girl for wine. You know, and these are the sorts of things that still go on in the world. You know, little children being sold for, you know, sex slaves or into the sex trade, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, giving children into situations where drugs are being used, etc. And there's not one of us who wants uh, that to just go unmarked. There's not one of us who thinks, well, I don't want God to be mean to the perpetrator. Um, <laughs> you know, that's just not how we think. We think, no, save that kid. Um, Mm -hmm. And if a judge fails to take the part of the innocent, no one respects that judge. And and there's no justice in the land if the judge does not stand up for the innocent party. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, we started here talking about Father's Day. I don't know if I know any fathers who wouldn't willingly, happily, maybe not happily, Mm-hmm. But take a baseball bat to somebody who tried to sell their kid into child, you know, into into a sex trade or right. anything like that. Who's going to judge harshly against a dad who wants to beat the living tar out of a out of somebody who does that? Is it being mean? Is the dad being mean when he's beating the snot out of somebody who tried to take their kid, or is he serving justice? Well. I mean, you know, of course, the laws of the land might have something to say about that. But I think the point is, I think my point is valid where where one side of justice is is uh, in in all cases, justice feels well deserved. It just depends on what side of it you're on of of how you perceive it. There's a call to repentance here. And I liked the phrase here. This is uh, two chapter two, verse 13. Rend your heart and not your garments. How important is it if we repent? to really truly repent and not just make a show of it there's been many times i guess you know i see it happen in children i see it happen in adults where they'll say i'm sorry it's questionable if they really mean it sometimes they're just saying what they know you want to hear you find it with celebrities a lot they'll say something they'll they'll say something kind of dumb and then certain people get up in arms and they'll make some sort of official apology for what they said New question, you know, it's like when you tell your kid, now say you're sorry, you know, (laughs) is the kid sorry or is he just doing what he's very silly? You know, I just think I I have to tell you this too, and I'm kind of laughing at myself now, but I was having a great conversation and giving my heartfelt response and found out that I was on mute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, why is he still talking? And I wonder if we're both going to be able to record at the same time. But then I was on mute. But yeah, no, I was almost saying exactly verbatim what you were saying. It's, you know, it's a heartfelt thing. And it really, it comes down to your relationship between you and God. Nobody can be the judge of, of to see if you're, you know, you're giving a heart, heartfelt, sincere, you know, I'm sorry, or asking for forgiveness, you know, and I think your actions point out how heartfelt it was. Is there a true transformation in the heart? you know, that brought you to this, or is it just lip service? Yeah, of course, it's time, you know, don't rent your garments. You know, this was a show that would be made by people at the time of, you know, if you were going to show grief, they would, they would tear, tear their clothes. And yeah. there were there were specific times that God said, don't do that. 
Yeah, and 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 there was there's another place where he says, "I want your hearts circumcised, not your bodies." Like you're mm-hmm. missing the point. Yeah, yeah. Don't just don't just be making a show of this stuff. Don't just be making it look make people you know look at him look at you and 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 think that you're that you're sincere. Actually, have sincerity. You know, because like I was talking about with you know parents telling their kids to say they're sorry. If a kid is saying saying it just to get out of trouble. You know, they're probably they haven't had the time to think about what they've done, really consider it. They're probably not really sorry. And uh, I think, uh, unfortunately, there's some adults that just do the same thing. They'll 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 put on a show without really having that heartfelt change. And that's what real repentance is, like Tracy was saying. It's what you do. It's how you, uh, you know, you, you show your repentance and it and it will be more it'll 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 come out more sincere i guess uh if you actually are sincere now this some of this here is where i felt like things were starting to shift towards maybe more end times stuff and less right then where maybe god is trying to is kind of giving a dual meaning here of how the land will get refreshed once the people repent people will be brought back pressers will be driven away the land will be restored he says then you shall know that i'm your god you know this is this is something that comes up a lot he's you know god says many times in the bible this will happen and then you will know this will happen then you will know and I was really starting to get a feel here where this wasn't specifically talking about the land, the physical land of Israel over in the Middle East, where but where it was maybe talking more down the road, down the future, when all of God's followers being spiritual Israel, if you will, once we have repented from our wrongs, when we have, what am I trying to say? I don't know. I should think and then speak, but uh, eventually eventually we're going to see a an aspect of this that is more than just what's happening right there right then because we, it talks about former rain and latter rain this is something that comes up again later in the bible where of talking about where they're talking about agriculture there rains like what in the spring and then rains in the late summer I think is the way that works, but we're talking about also the Holy Spirit being poured out in a former rain and a latter rain. I was just looking at these verses and thinking about how beautiful it is that God is making promises also to the whole land. It's in verse 21. It says, fear not, O land, be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things. Be not afraid, ye beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness do spring forth. And so that reminds me of, you know, the, in the New Testament, Paul says that all of creation is groaning, you know, until we see the redemption of man. And with the fall of man came great suffering among the whole animal kingdom. And, you know, all of the world was changed. Um, so this this does take on a very uh, end time prophetic thought, which is things will be restored. Um and like verse 25, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And, you know, God in his kindness, not just in a long-term sense, but in a short-term sense, often restores to us good gifts, uh, even when we have fallen. So I spent a little time this week looking at the difference between the original language words for um, early rain and or I guess what they would call the autumn rain followed by the spring rain, the, the former rain followed by the latter rain. And I, I believe it's, I believe it's speaking spiritually as well. Maybe, you know, it's taking the literal ro- rotation of crops and seasons and it's showing it using that as the illustration for what's going to be happening spiritually. So the word that is used for, for former rain, early rain, which is translated autumn rain in some ones is a sprinkling Mm. and so there's this idea that after the summer heat the ground is parched and hard and dry and if you were to deluge it with something it would run right off it would just break up you know and clods would wash away and it wouldn't really do any good and what you need first is a softening rain you need lighter rain as opposed to a deluge and that is what the yore, yore, 
which is the word for former rain, means. It means a sprinkling. And then there's the word that it uses for um, Malkosh mal is the word that it means for the latter rains. That's the spring rains. And those are heavy, like heavy, heavy. Like we're going to soak this thing and then we're going to add the heat of summer. And that's what's going to give us our harvest. And I thought that was really cool. Because that says a lot to me spiritually about what what has happened. I mean, most of us believe that the early rain happened at Pentecost, right? Mm-hmm. Where the um, where after Jesus was taken back to heaven after the resurrection, um, you know, his believers were gathered in the upper room and they were worshiping together. And here came the Holy Spirit in the form of tongues of fire. And that was when this, it was just this huge outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus had said that. He said, I need to go so that the comforter can come. And that's what happened. And that's the form that it took. And the early church exploded at that point because these people were just overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And I've always been under the impression that there was going to be a latter rain that was an absolute deluge compared to the early rain before the end of the world. And I, I personally think we're starting to see the beginning signs of it now. I think it's going to be any day now. Imagine, I mean, if 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 the former rain was Pentecost and the amazing things that we saw happen there, what are we in for? Right. I mean, <laughs> holy smokes. And I, I say that, I say that, uh, I, I don't mean that to sound ironic or, uh, to, you know, <laughs> but I mean, seriously, I mean, what is just, wow, what are we, what do we have the potential to see? We, I think, are maybe in for some really amazing stuff. Just the, the, the potential there is, is mind-blowing. And I guess I say potential, I can't even begin to imagine what we would see if we saw we saw that from a little sprinkling uh, and we're we're looking forward to a flood yeah Um, if that was if that was softening the ground and then later (laughs) mm -hmm. right before the heat right right you know right before the hot season now here comes the actual flood of the holy spirit yeah that's going to get that could get that could get pretty crazy here on planet earth and so I guess, are we prepared for it? You know, are we, are we preparing for it? Because, um, you know, the world, the world's kind of sucky right now. And, uh, in a lot of ways, Christianity maybe seems a little lackluster. You know, we get up in arms about Starbucks cups at Christmas time and. Paint and... colors. I've heard. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not start. Home. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the things, at least here in the United States, the things that we get upset about as Christians, or at least a lot, you know, popularly that Christians get upset about, uh, they're such minor, minor details. But, but you know, I think there is a sincerity amongst Christians to want to be taken seriously. Yet, for a large part of Christianity, we haven't opened ourselves up to the real potentials of what of what could be and if if we actually open ourselves up to its huge outpouring of the holy spirit man i just think we could potentially we could see some really amazing things in the face of all this junk that we're having to deal with it'll be it'll be very interesting to see not only are we going to be capable of with that pouring of outpouring of the spirit but what sort of opposition then would we would be be up against too um as the world tries to push back but of course you know yeah God is- some people some people will be looking around going oh my goodness this is what i've been looking for this is amazing these are the answers i've been seeking whatever right and then mm. you're going to have the other side which is just going to come at you with all of hell's fury so yeah no it's it's coming yeah it's coming yeah cuz you know it talks about how sons and daughters will prophesy old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions you know, I think a lot of people, they think that the time of the prophets is done, which has never quite made sense to me. Why wouldn't we look for prophets, especially in, in the end times? Because every time, anytime major things were going to happen in the world, God always had prophets there to to talk to people. And how will we recognize them? It's going to be, 
man, it's just going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting stuff to see and watch. So I'm, I don't know. It's exciting. It's a little daunting um, because, um, you know, I always wonder, am I ready for it when it happens? Am I going to be ready to, to accept it? I'm going to go out on a very short limb and say, it's going to be ready for you, whether you're ready for it. Well, then that, that makes me happier because, <laughs> but you know, I mean, so but when we think of this in terms of agriculture, you have your former rain softens the ground. Well, then we have to till the ground. We have to plant the seeds. You yeah, know, that'd be like a winter wheat type of crop. Like the ground softens, you know, you, you put the seeds in, you let them, you let them sit. And then here comes the latter rain. And then here comes the heat of summer. And then poof, you have a crop, you have a mm-hmm. harvest. Yeah, so if you haven't prepared for it, then what's going to ha- happen? Uh, you know, the 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 water hits the ground and really nothing happens. So so in the meantime, we have to be preparing ourselves and be ready for that pouring out. In um, my experience, if you don't if you don't do nothing, just the weeds come up. Well, you know, that's what I was, well, no, seriously, I was just thinking the same yeah. thing. I mean, you know, when you have water on a land that hasn't been prepared for, for a crop, mm-hmm. something's going to grow. Yep. And yep. if we haven't, pre- if we haven't prepared ourselves for it, then that opposition is going to rise up against it. Mm-hmm. We'll seize and, the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we have to be preparing. Uh, more here that talk, makes me think of end time stuff. It talks about blood and fire and pillars of smoke and the sun turned into darkness, the moon to blood. You know, these are always these are always things that people point to as signs of the end times. Oh, where do I want to go here? Because Joel through we, we 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 touched on it a bit here in verse three, where we talk about a boy is payment for a harlot and sold. They sold a girl for wine that. Amy, I think you hit exactly what I was thinking of when I was reading that. It got me instantly thinking of child trafficking. And wow, what a, I mean, if it was an issue back then, we know it's an issue today. It's one of the most disgusting things I can think of, of what we do for, uh, do to our children um, or what people are out there doing to children and doing it with no real conscience about it. Uh, It's just, it's just so ugly. I heard on NPR one time, uh, a really shocking piece, and it, it was just about some folks in Afghanistan uh, at a wedding celebration, and that that um, was one of the entertainments that was available to the men, and it was um, young boys who had been schooled uh, for entertaining adult men, and <laughs> it was so shocking, and I thought, especially in such a conservative culture that is so... Um, chauvinistic in a lot of ways, you would think that women and children would be protected. But that was entertainment at a wedding. Mm. At a wedding. Yeah, I can't even begin to wrap my mind around the mindset of that for so many reasons. I mean, uh, you know, just the the innocence of the children being taken advantage of there, their inability to stand up against it because they don't they don't have a physical strength to to resist. Right, right. And you know they just get mentally beaten down. I don't know, man. It's just one of the it's just it's just one of the biggest potential possible evils there could ever be. And you hear stories of it happening in not just on the other side of the world, but no, you know, Los Angeles, like oh. yeah, yeah, all over Johnson's Corner here in Colorado was a hub for <sighs> a little while. Yeah, it's just, it's yeah. ugly, it's disgusting. It but that's one of the things that me. makes me want God's justice. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Depending at what age a child is mistreated sexually, it can either leave them um, in the form of, a, of exclusively a traumatized victim, or more complexly, a traumatized victim whose body has been trained that this is okay and then their own sexuality becomes twisted. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I know a lady here where I moved to who starting at age four, her father used her that way. Mm-hmm. He had also used her older sisters, but for whatever reason, he developed a preference to her. 
And by the time she was 12, he went ahead and told her, well, you're just going to be my wife now because your mom doesn't, she won't let me do what I want to do. And at 16, she conceived his child wow. and all of all of the girls in the family. So there were three girls in the family. Every single one gave birth to a, an, a child of their own father. All of the children have health struggles. He also taught uh, this lady's brothers to do the same thing to her. And so that's basically what she was. And she did not know that that was abnormal. So here's the, here's the, here's the rub. She didn't like it, but she didn't even know it was abnormal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So like one time when she was in fourth grade, um, one of her classmates wanted to come over. And so this little female friend of hers came over after school and her dad tried to get on the girl and the girl flipped out, like fought, kicking, screaming, crying, ran away. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. later approached her at school and was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm never coming to your house again. Well, this lady that I know was dumbfounded. It had, she's in fourth grade. It had never occurred to her that this wasn't normal. Wow. It didn't matter whether she liked it or not. And then of all of her brothers, one of her brothers, I guess he used her maybe maybe less than a dozen times. She figures it was about 10 times. And then he met somebody socially who was speaking openly about the fact that this had happened and it was wrong. It had happened to like one of his friends or something. And all of a sudden, this one brother out of all of her brothers got the idea that he shouldn't be doing that. And he came back and apologized to her. Oh, and wow. He never did it again. And so that was the only brother that she had a good relationship with for the rest of for the rest of his life. He, he died. This is an older family. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I'm just saying the depending on the age of the child when this happens, it can really, really mess you up and it can actually like become part of your view of normal, become part of your view of sexual response. It can mm -hmm. go into, it can go into you in very different ways and leave you a mess and is extremely hard to clean up. Yeah. Well, and then it stands to reason where Paul, you know, when the context of when Paul is talking about our bodies being the temple that's in the context, he's talking at the time, if I'm not mistaken, he's talking about sexual immorality mm -hmm, and you know if we can do that to ourselves by not by not having a healthy sexual relationship with a partner or or however you want to put that how much worse is it if somebody forces it on us to the point where we where then we we feel like that's normal it's so damaging it's not just a physical it's like you're saying it's it's a there's a there's mental damage it's like an all-encompassing yep damage wow. and, it's, and i don't mean to get too far off from joel i'm just yeah, saying no. the cry for justice is huge because humans are gross yeah well i mean the fact that it's here in joel 3 tells me this is something that god is addressing at the time so uh just just yuck yuck and how do we how do we fall into that i don't even know how we fall into that i don't understand how we fall so deeply into sin where we don't even stop to think about whether it's right or wrong. You know, besides the child trafficking thing, I mean, you see the videos of people, the porch pirates, you know, stealing the Amazon deliveries, oh. and they just walk right up, they grab the, they, they pick up the package, and they walk to their car. And there doesn't seem to be anything in the video that, that says anything about them thinking about it being wrong. They just, that's just what they do. And... Uh, so it really is, it's, uh, it's just a level of depravity that we have the ability to reach where we just stop thinking of all about consequences, about the morality of it. We just have no, no compunction at all to, to change. You know, it makes me think of what we were just got done reading and how, when Israel kind of was going down the tubes, or even if you look back at, um, in judges where it said, and there was no king, so the people did whatever they felt was right in their own minds. Yep. And yeah. that's where we're at right now. 
Yeah. Is we're just lovers of self. We don't care about what anybody else is thinking. It's what we do, what makes us feel good. And I think that's, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when the text goes on and talks about Tyre and Sidon wanting to retaliate for God's judgment, and then God says, basically, he says, you know, if you try to retaliate against me, uh, it's going to be, that's going to be met with swift retaliation from God. So, you know, just watch out. If you if you think that you've gotten to yourself into a point where, one, you don't think about what you're doing is bad, and when God tries to judge you and you want to you want to speak out against God for it, you just better know it's going to be dealt with. It's going to be dealt with swiftly. He says. It talks about here. You know, there's the 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 the, the popular phrase here: "Beat your plowshares into swords." Boy, what a call to war, man! Look at that. Yeah, and I think this is a I think this is a call to us. You know, I mean, you know, you think of the plowshare. Okay, um, I guess it's been a while since I looked up exactly what a plowshare is. I think of it kind <laughs> of as a as a hoe, as a gardening tool. Not generally thought of as a weapon. We we're called to we're called to combat this stuff. We're called to fight up fight out against it. Yeah, we're going to we're going to end up reshaping what the tool, whatever tool we have in our hand, we're going to end up reshaping it for war. That's what mm-hmm. I get out of this. Mm-hmm. Like you think you were doing this for a living? No, it's, there's a spiritual battle on the in the earth and it's time for you to be a soldier. So what is it that you have in your hand? That's mm-hmm. what you're going to go to war with. Right. And I, you know, not everybody is a foot soldier. We're all going to be called to fight exactly where we stand with what we already do. Right, right, yeah, and whatever we, whatever we do, wherever we are, uh, and so I guess it's called just be prepared to be bold, be prepared to stand up, be prepared to fight, and I guess maybe this doesn't mean you know pick a fight wherever you go because that's that could be just as detrimental. But there are times that a fight is going to be at hand, and you're going to have to. You're going to have to um, you're going to have to defend. You're going to have to attack. There's a verse you're talking about multitudes in the valley of decision. I think there's a lot of decision going on these days. There's a lot of and then this is maybe part of the battle of helping people to make that decision and helping them to understand that we are combating evils. Uh, it goes beyond politics. It goes beyond individual ideas. Our very souls are at stake, if you will. And the decisions we make now have eternal repercussions. Where where are we gonna where are we gonna go with those decisions? And there's a lot of there's a lot of decisions being thrown our ways these days about uh, so many different social aspects, political aspects. How are you gonna live your life? What standard are you gonna live your life by? How are you gonna make your decisions? says there's multitudes multitudes so you know the whole world right now is in a turmoil over making decisions and uh it's not always easy to go the right path but we're gonna have to do it i pulled out verse 16 here uh, in chapter 3 verse 16 the lord also will roar from zion and utter his voice from jerusalem the heavens and earth will shake but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. I really like that verse because to me, it's, it's really pointing out we're not alone. God is still in charge. He is, he's roaring. He is, he's going to show his teeth, but if we're on his side, we don't have to be afraid of him because that roar is there for our protection that the judgment, like we talked about, we're on his side. The judgment is going to be beneficial for us. Um, well, the second half of that verse says it. The Lord mm-hmm. will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. The earth and the heavens will tremble, but the Lord will be a refuge for his people, a stronghold for the people of Israel. I guess I'm looking forward to that, for that roar from God. <laughs> you know, the first thing I think of is the roar of Aslan in the... Um, uh, in the Narnia books, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, I just, I just love that. I love how C.S. Lewis pulled that out and, you know, really depicted God, de- depicted Jesus as that lion. And, 
boy, when <laughs> when he roars and 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 uh, the evil the evil ones just just shy away from it, but the ones that are on his side get strengthened and emboldened by it. It's it's so inspiring, and uh, so that's that's kind of what we have happening here. The chapter ends then talking about. Uh, let's see here. It seemed to me like it was a largely an allegory for the new earth. When you get into the last few verses of of yeah. the chapter, it talks about a fruitful land. Talks about a fountain flowing from the house of the Lord. Didn't we just didn't we just talk about this recently? I think it definitely had me thinking of Revelation. Uh, let me see here. Let me look it up real quick. Revelation twenty two. Revelation twenty two, one and two. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throat of God and mm-hmm. of the Lamb. Yep. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. So that really got me thinking about that with this this flowing of water from the throne of God, which I think we did talk about that oh, maybe a week or two ago as this sim, this just the symbolism of this life giving water coming from God. And then I think we talked about it, you know, as it gets to the sea and how it, how it cleans the people. It talks here about how Egypt and Edom are going to be neutralized. Uh, They seem to be symbols of idolatry and violence and oppression. Maybe, you know, while I think there is literal application here for the time that Joel was writing for, it seems to me just to be allegorical also of this, ugly stuff happening just w- will be neutralized it'll be taken care of and uh it finishes off with how judah will abide forever for the lord dwells in zion and so so this is what we have to look forward to that yes we have gone have gone through are going through a time of judgment i guess maybe it's safe to say that we are maybe we're feeling some of the judgment now I think we're I think we're coming up on the bulk of it. I think that I think that good and evil will become very very clear f- from each other so that even a casual observer without a spiritual thought in his head can see the differences, right? So yeah. I think that clarity is essential for spiritual pe- humans, right? We're spiritual creatures, spiritual watchers of all degrees of maturity, right? So not everybody is spiritually equipped to pick up on the finer points of this, that, or the other thing because they haven't, they just don't know. I think that good and evil is going to become so obvious that even the casual observer can see it. And then I think that things will just escalate from there. And I think we're already seeing the beginning of it. And somewhere in there, we're going to have a latter rain. I don't know if we're at the beginning of it yet or if it's if it's still ahead of us, but it's going to be something. Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be a fascinating time in the world to live through. I think in some ways yeah. it's going to be frightening. In some ways it's going to be exciting. If we can remember whose side we're on, I, I hope that we can see more of the exciting side of it than the frightening side of it. Just make sure you're on the right side, though. And eventually, as it says, Judah will abide forever. And I, I don't think that's just talking Judah. I think that's talking God's people, God's kingdom. The kingdom of God that Jesus came and was talking about all the time of of the people who follow him and the ideals that God has put forth for us to follow and, uh, you know, ultimately glorify him because they are so beneficial. So I think that is that's going to about do it for the book of Joel. Now, starting next week, we are going to be getting into the book of Daniel. And Daniel, Daniel is so dense. And I don't mean, I mean, I mean, like full of good stuff. I don't mean Daniel is an idiot. That was a bad joke. Sorry. Um, (laughs) Cutting room floors. Yeah, that's probably going right out. Can't take you anywhere. (laughs) But the book of Daniel is so dense that we are probably going to slow down a bit going through it. Um, so that we don't rush through. There's some really fascinating stuff in the book of Daniel. To me, like Daniel chapter two is where mm-hmm. I always turn to when I start to have doubts. I look at Daniel chapter two and I go, oh yeah, okay. It's all real. It's all good. I, uh, I'm encouraged again. So um, it's, it's, man, it's full of some, 
very some stuff that will i think embolden us in our following of god it's full of some stuff that uh you know predicts the future it tells the history of the world uh it's just it's it's really really fascinating stuff and so i think we're going to have a really good time in that discussion uh, i think god really shines in the book so i'm going to say to our listeners just be reading the book of Daniel. Read it, study it, look at it. I'm not going to, I don't think I'm going to try to say that we're going to get through any certain number of chapters every week. Uh, we're just going to, we're going to take it as it comes and uh, just let it shine for what it is. So start studying the book of Daniel. And while you're doing that, waiting for us, remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Remember, you can look us up on Facebook. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that it reaches you in your feet each and every week. Make sure you share the podcast. And we look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.